Our scripture for tonight is Jeremiah 18, 15. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways in the ancient paths. They, make, they made them walk in byways on roads not built up. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Forgive me a second. I left my clicker. As I'm walking, I'll share a little memory that I have. Uh, thank you. Growing up, my dad is a basketball coach, and so since I was little, I spent a lot of time in gyms. Um, and we had a, a bit of a family tradition that started when I was in college, and uh, my brothers were in high school at the time, and something that happened all the way until, you know, they kicked me out of the house eventually. And it was after a win, typically, uh, when my dad's team would get a win, uh, we would come back to the house. It'd be late because it was a late basketball game. And uh, we'd come home and we'd gather in the kitchen. Eventually, my dad would get home after having all his post-game meetings. And we would throw in some frozen pizzas or make some appetizer. We'd eat food and we would tell stories. And this would happen almost every week. We'd tell stories about uh, old basketball teams, old memories, uh, some of our favorite players from the past. And we would just have this, those, one of those moments where you're with your family and everything just kind of feels right. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where like, you tell the same story every year, but every time it's like the best thing ever. Like you still get laughs every time you tell the same stories over and over and over again. I think part of that is stories have a way of sort of providing meaning for us in the world. Because stories are actually tied to what we can remember. And the funny thing about that is sometimes stories get better over time because our memories, well, we sort of exaggerate. And so what becomes an exaggeration eventually becomes what actually happened, and the stories can even be more fun. Tonight, I'm going to talk about memory. The theme is going to be on the way of remembrance. This is an important theme that we're going to see quite a bit, both in the Old and New Testament. And I'm going to give you up front kind of where I'm going with this. My main idea tonight is that remembering who God is and what he's done is one of the most important parts of our discipleship. That's remembering who God is and what God has done is one of the most important parts of our discipleship. And so I ask you, how good is your memory? I don't know about you, but over time, I sense that my memory has gotten worse, not better. Um, I remember times where I pull out my phone to Google something, and I, I just slips my mind. I can't even remember what I was going to Google. I forgot what I was even looking for in the first place. Or earlier today, I was, uh, Joel can attest to it, I was walking back and forth trying to find my keys because I misplaced my keys. I finally found them eventually. Um, have you ever left a candle burning and then going to realize the next morning you left a candle burning all night? Right? We have things in our world that I think actually play a role in affecting our memory in a negative way. There was a researcher in the late 1800s, his name was Ebbinghaus, and he did something uh, that has been used a lot in, in sort of psychology today called the forgetfulness curve. Maybe you've heard of this. Basically what he did is he asked the question, how quickly do we forget things depending on what you want to remember or forget? And this is really bad news for pastors because typically what we what found out from the forgetfulness curve is that people can only remember 15 or 50 percent of what was said 20 minutes after the fact. So when you leave after hearing a sermon 
let's say, it's likely that you've already forgotten half of what I said. Now, if you extend that curve to a week, it's likely you will remember only 10% of what I said. So I don't know. Let's take a poll. Did you, does anybody remember what I preached on last week? Yes? Okay, a couple hands. Good. That's good. So I talked about prayer. Um, that this is a reality for, for all of us, is that our memory works only to a certain point. Sometimes it's reliable. Sometimes it's unreliable. But that being said, our memory is what makes everything in this world have meaning. We have to remember something has to be in our mind for us to actually experience it. One of the large issues that you'll see is that when a society begins to forget, you oftentimes see a society decline. You've maybe heard the, the phrase, um, we need to remember our history, we need to learn history, because if we don't, if we forget our history, we are prone to repeat it. We need to know our history, to learn from our history, so that we can live differently. Um, if you remember, some of you are too young to remember this, but I remember the day, um, September 9-11, uh, the day when the planes hit the Twin Towers. It was a very visceral mem memory for me. I was in the seventh grade. I was sitting in a classroom. The whole school shut down. We were all sitting, watching, not really knowing what's going on, but it was a terrifying, terrifying day. And what's interesting is, after 9-11, something remarkable happened. Um, in America, we tend to worship our sports heroes, typically. Football players, basketball players, we hold them up on a very high pedestal. Um, and, and for a season of time, before football game, NFL games in particular, they would bring out volunteer firemen and policemen to thank them and to give them a round of applause. It was like for a moment, America had this clarity of like, oh, wait, this, this heroic volunteer uh, her heroism, this is like actually what's more important than throwing a ball across a field. And this eventually faded, and over time, not that we've forgotten the event itself, but maybe we sometimes forget what's most important. I think about when COVID first hit and we were shut down. If you remember, like every commercial, every commercial was, was thanking um, the essential workers, those who were uh, going, you know, running grocery stores and keeping our water running and doing things that were essential that could not shut down. And for a moment, we noticed that there are these acts of selfless um, risking their life to some degree to help us stay afloat. That is an amazing thing. We had a, I had a drive out of my neighborhood. There was a big sign that says, thank you, frontliners, which for me, my wife is a nurse, so she had to go to work and actually had to work extra hours. And so for me, I was like, yeah, that's great. I felt, I felt great, and I was proud of, of my wife who had to take that risk. But I would guess that in time, maybe five years, maybe ten years, our priorities will shift because we often forget. Mark Sayers, in his book, Strange Days, says that when a society forgets what's important, a society begins to decline. And I think we are quick to forget. Several years ago, I had this incredible experience to go to Israel. Um, my wife and I got to go with the family. I had a tour, and, and probably the most impactful experience was at um, the Holocaust Memorial Museum called uh, Yad Vashem. And the way it's designed, if you've ever been there, it's really this fascinating journey of architecture. As you're walking through this museum, you're, you're learning all about um, different stories and different, different people who were affected and, and sort of tells this grand narrative. And then you get to the end of it and you're already like in a move to a place of, of tears. I mean, it's, it's heavy. 
right? Super heavy. And you get to the last room. If I can get this to work. There it is. Found it eventually. Isaac, will you click that for me? I'm sorry. Here we go. So you get to this final room, and it's this fascinating, fascinating room. You can see above all these pictures of people. This is all the people who lost their life in the Holocaust. And from a distance, all you see is a bunch of photographs. But if you zoom in on it, you actually, there's behind it, there's, there's actually writing telling the story of every single individual who is on that wall. And it is so incredibly profound. You can actually go through and scroll through all these. And it is an amazing form of storytelling. The modern nation of Israel, if you don't understand what they carry in their memory for this, and that's part of the reason why they have this, is because they don't want to forget. As painful, as awful as, as all of it was, they don't want to forget because it is a part of who they are. Even the tragic is a part of their identity. These are painful yet sacred memories in the events of the Holocaust. It's the power of memory but also represents the danger of forgetting. And I think one of the challenges that we face is that it's not just our culture uh, that can struggle to remember things. Um, I think that we can forget things spiritually, and that's kind of what I want to talk about a bit tonight. Think about uh, for a minute how the children of Israel, after seeing the deliverance that God had for them, judging the Egyptians, um, sending the plagues, parting the Red Sea, and then Moses goes out and gets the Ten Commandments, and they're like, man, that was all amazing. And then like six weeks later, right, they already forget, and they begin to build idols. Sometimes I think this is what can happen. In experiencing hard and difficult things, um, we can doubt everything that God has done for us because we become disillusioned with whatever the situation might be, and we can forget who God is and what he's done, and I believe that in those moments when we forget those things, that's one of the ways in which the enemy tries to trap us. Satan doesn't need you just to deny God. He needs you to simply forget him. And if you don't have a memory, it doesn't really matter what else happens. I believe that Satan wants you not only to forget God, but also to remember your sin, to put that on the forefront of your mind and forget who God is, what he's done, and what he wants for your life. I would say in a sense, it's almost as if there is a war for your memory. In Jeremiah 18, the passage that I read in the beginning, we have a prophet who is disillusioned and he's speaking on behalf of God about the decline of Israel. He says, it's my people, they have forgotten me, right? They don't, they don't remember who I am. And because of that, they then burn incense and worthless idols, which make them stumble in their ways. So what is it that led to the stumbling of the false gods? What is that led to the idolatry? According to Jeremiah, is that they forgot. They forgot the true God. In my own life, I ask myself, what is it... Um, that causes me to forget, and there's a long list of things that I could list, but a couple that stood out. I think one um, is a measure of prosperity. So when, when we receive good things, sometimes that can be a hindrance. Uh, if I pray to God, God, I just pray that you would give me enough money to make rent, and then all of a sudden I'm gifted uh, by the grace of God an incredible amount of money, and, and now all of a sudden, oh wait, I don't need anything from you anymore, and I can forget. 
our prayers can be answered. And in, in that, and, and without gratitude, we can sometimes miss out on what else God is trying to do. We're going to see this in Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to go back here. Just, oops. There we go. Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 through 13. And we're going to see what happens when we forget. Look at verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed in fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. God is saying in this moment very clearly, remember what I did for you. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember when I rescued you? Do you remember those times when I was faithful? Do you remember all the great moments that I was there at every step of the way? Don't forget, because you're going to be a free people. And as free people, you're going to be surrounded by idolatrous nations, people who are going to pull you away from the calling I have for you. Do not forget who I am, because the likelihood is you're now living in houses. You're no longer slaves in, in Egypt. You're no longer living under this oppression, but you're living in a house. You have needs met. And in that, don't forget where you came from. Do not forget the Lord God who brought you out of slavery when you had nothing. So often, when people hit rock bottom and God pulls them out of the pit, it's in those moments we forget what God has done. Prosperity can sometimes make us forget. Another thing that I think can make us forget is our anxiety. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, we deal with a lot of pressure in our world, whether it's relational pressure, work pressure, whether it's online pressure, pressure from your past, pressure from your future, you name it. And we can become so riddled with anxiety and become anxious people. Um, we talked last week about how America is, a, is a, a country that has a lot of anxiety, more than any time in human history. And in the midst of all these overwhelming things, we can forget that in the midst of our struggle and pressure and anxiety, there is a God who is with us. There is a God who is near. And what happens is when we forget that God is with us, we start latching onto anything to help cope or deal with these feelings of worry and anxiety. It was Lawrence Boat who said this. He said, forgetting negates the meaning of history and establishes evil practices because they seem helpful or useful to our present desires. Your present desire is relief from anxiety. And we can use just any excuse to deal with the pain we might be feeling, to deal with our anxiousness. And in doing so, we forget that God is in the midst of it. In times of great stress, God is saying, remember me. Um, David Foster Wallace, he points out, uh, the problem with being you is that every experience you've ever had, well, you're the person experiencing it. 
So your standpoint is that you are the center of everything happening on planet Earth. All events on this planet are perceived through direct senses. So he says it's very, very hard when you have, have had much direct experience not to believe that you're the center of everything. And then he goes, but here's the thing. You're not the center of everything. And to live like you are makes you a narcissist with a side order of a delusion. This is what happens often. As we become, we think we are part of the center of all. We become, we become sort of self-focused on our own needs that oftentimes we miss what God has for us. We live in a culture that has carefully curated social media life designed to sell the views of others and Instagram and TikTok algorithms and whatever it might be. Ultimately, remember this. Remember, if there's no product being sold to you, then you're the product. The product they are after is your attention. And so our minds and our attention are being sold to these things and being distracted by these things. And this is the point. A preoccupation, a pre- preoccupation with ourselves leads to a sort of space where we try to get in front of God. In the midst of it, we miss that he is here with us now doing something in this world. This is what I think the Old Testament scholars call a spiral of forgetfulness. Now, when we think about remembering God, I want to tell a brief story about an interaction I had with my son, my oldest son, Pierce. Um, We were, there's a little golf space, uh, McDonald golf course here in Wichita that has like a, it's like a nine hole mini golf course. They're all like par threes, really short par threes. And so I took Pierce out there. He loves to go with me and ride in the golf cart. And I took him out to just play a little short round of golf. And uh, as things are going, they're going pretty well. And he's, he, I, he's, every hole for him is a par nine. It's a par three for me. I'm giving him a little bit of a, you know, an edge there. Um, and things were going well for about four holes when all of a sudden he had an absolute meltdown. Now, kids will have meltdowns from time to time. They're, that's what happens. Um, and in parenting, you're, you're trying to, in those situations, sort of manage, you know, People at golf has a certain etiquette. You're not supposed to cry in a golf course or yell at a golf course. And my kid is melting down, and there's other people looking like, what's going on? He can't get in control of his motions because he was upset. He got a bogey or whatever the issue was. I don't even remember. And I'm trying to calm him down and say, hey, dude, it's, come on, let's just finish this. We, we have to walk all the way back. Like, it'll be better if we just finish the round. And finally, I got down on my knees, and I said, Pierce, I said, I know you're sad. I know you're upset. I said, I promise you, if we can just take a deep breath and play the next hole, and if you don't like it, we'll go home. But let's play one more hole. And finally, he's kind of choking up, and he says, okay, okay, one more. And he gets up there, and I'm like, please hit a good shot. Please hit a good shot. And he takes his little mini driver and just smashes it. And so he ends up getting, uh, I think he hit like a, five strokes. It's like an albatross, which is like a double eagle in golf, which is amazing. So we're playing par nine. Um, and it was like a huge moment, though, and he's so excited again, and we ended up finishing the whole thing, and afterwards, we're walking to the car, and I look at him in the eyes, and I say, Pierce, stop for a second. Look at me. He said, I want you to remember this day. I want you to remember this moment, because you wanted to quit. You were sad. You were crying. Do you remember that? And he goes, yeah, Dad, I remember. And I said, and what did you do? And he says, I kept playing. And I'm like, I don't ever want you to forget this moment. I don't ever want you to forget this moment because you showed resilience, you showed toughness, you showed, and I listed a bunch of adjectives, and af- afterwards we went to the car, and he said, Dad, 
And I said, what? He said, I don't forget. I didn't forget it. I'm like, good. And then the next day he reminds me, he's like, dad, you remember you told me to remember? I didn't forget it. I said, great. And now every time he has a meltdown, I go, Pierce, do you remember that one time? He's like, yes, dad, if we were playing golf. And it's sort of a reminder of a moment when he showed resolve. And I, I find that sometimes for us, I think that we will so often in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of our struggle, we will forget the moments when God moved, the moments when God was faithful, the moments when God stepped in when we needed him most, the moments when we were lost and then found. And it's in those moments that we are called to remember. The Old Testament scholars refer to this in a couple spaces as the spiral of forgetfulness. Um, the Israelites forgot God initially, and then uh, just, just carelessly, it was pretty careless at that point. They were just sort of going on about their, their life and had sort of forgotten what God had done. They were distracted by the needs of their times that led them to disobey their commandments, where ultimately um, they forgot God and it hardened their hearts. And as a result, they set God aside and abandoned him. See, the thing about their spiral was that it happened over time. It wasn't this conscious, immediate decision. It was every day choosing not to remember what God had done for them that led him down this road. And I think that's going to be one of uh, Satan's clearest attacks on our faith, is to get you to forget God and forget what he's done for you. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I think back and I, I think about a moment when God moved in my life and I question it. And I said, did God really, really do that? Or was that just a figment of my imagination? And I think those are moments where uh, we are being attacked. What we see from this passage is that we have a call to remember, and that is essential to our discipleship. You know, when you're young, um, it's easy to have passion. It's easy to, to get excited. I did youth ministry for a long time, and part of the reason I love it is because kids just have a, an innocence and an excitement and and they're not calloused, you know, they don't have bag, as much baggage at that age, and there's something so exciting about um, just that fire within uh, ourselves when we were younger. But as we grow older, I think this becomes even more important, that we constantly go back to remember the moments when God has been in our life. It's going to take a conscious practice. So this isn't just something that, that happens. It's something that we actually, we, we talk about practicing the way of Jesus. We went through that series together. That's just part, this is one of those practices, remembering that we can introduce into a rhythm of our life. And we say, we see in a few other spaces I want to highlight real quick. Revelation 3, if you remember, we taught that a couple of months ago. Uh, it says to hold fast, uh, to hold it fast because uh, Basically, hold fast what I have told you is what the passage says. And, he, and he's saying it because if you don't hold it fast, you are going to forget it. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord's. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Even the psalmist is saying, I will remember what you did. I'll remember the miracles that you performed. In Revelation 2, remember this passage. Yet I hold it against you. You have forsaken the love you have at first. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then Paul says to the church in Romans and to Timothy, I am writing you to remind you of the faithfulness of God. 
And so my last major point is that we need to remember Jesus. And what I mean by that is I know it may seem crazy, but we can go through church, we can attend a Thursday night service, we can be involved in a small group, and still in the midst of all our church and religious activity, forget Jesus. You can have an emotional experience with God in a worship service. You can be serving the poor and think that your experience in serving the poor is making you feel good or whatever that might be, and in that, still forget Jesus. Jesus himself is in the middle of all of it. And when you get outside the church and you look into the culture, you can forget Jesus in the political wars. You can forget Jesus in moral debates and ethical decisions. You can forget Jesus in the midst of all of it. And so the question I have is, do you remember Jesus in the everyday, in the mundane, in the conversations? Do you remember Jesus? Do you remember what he's done for you? Do you remember your faith in the beginning? Do you remember being on fire? Do you remember how he treated people? Do you remember what he taught you? Do you remember when he threw over tables, when he came for the Pharisees, when he showed mercy, when he forgave his enemies? Don't forget Jesus. At the end of Paul's life, he's in prison, and he's beaten, and he's old, and he's probably in not a great physical space. He's about to lose his life, and in his last letter that we have, he writes to Timothy in the New Testament. This is one of the last things he says to Timothy. He says, remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. At the end of his life, he's like, look, Timothy, whatever you do, don't forget Jesus. You know, Paul's writing... um, to the Ephesian believers, uh, and, and he's like, look, you've got this tension in the church, you've got these Jewish believers, but then you've got these Gentiles coming in, and these Gentiles are not as familiar with the biblical narrative, they're not as familiar with some of your Jewish traditions and customs, and so they're kind of getting arrogant, and they're like, oh, we don't need any of that because, you know, we've got Jesus, it's all about us, and then he says to them, remember that one time when you were separate from Christ and excluded from the citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenant promise without hope of God in the world. Remember your life before that. And remember how far you've come. Remember when God saved you. I think for all of us, part of the importance too is to remember our salvation. Remember the moment when God saved you. Do you remember it? Do you have a a story or a testimony you share? Do you think about it often? Psalm 16.8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. This is what we are doing. We are reminded to put Jesus at the forefront of our consciousness in every moment of life. You know, when Jesus was celebrating the Passover um, with his disciples, he, he takes on the meaning of old covenant and fulfills it with himself in the new covenant, and he reminds his friends so they don't forget, and he says, now do not forget me. What does he say when they when they have this experience. He says, do this in remembrance of me. The last thing he's leaving them with is do not forget me. I want to leave you in closing with just a few memories because I want us to practice this. Uh, I want us to practice the art of remembrance, the the practice of remembrance together. And so as a way of example, I'm just going to share just a few brief memories that I have. I remember when I was 13, 
And I was in Wisconsin in a river, and my grandfather, who's a pastor, baptized me. I remember uh, the, it was like 90 degrees. It was hot for being in Wisconsin. Uh, I was sweating. I have all these visceral memories of me being so nervous as I'm sharing my testimony to this small group of people who I didn't even know. Um, but I remember the feeling of being baptized in that river, the coolness of the water, the, the, the significance of proclaiming my faith when I was 13 years old. I remember as a teenager at a youth conference, I think I was in the eighth grade. I remember just being overwhelmed with emotion, right? I remember like just getting so lost in this, this worship service that I was, I was raising my hand. I'm not a hand raiser in worship, and I was raising my hands. I didn't even care, and right? I was unashamed. I just had this moment where I just abandoned all emotion and just let it all go, and I sensed the presence of God when I was in the eighth grade. I remember being at a funeral. Um, this was when I was in high school. Uh, my not my youth pastor, but my small group leader died in a motorcycle accident. It was a terrible, terrible accident. And he, his wife was, I think she was like 29 years old and was widowed. And uh, we went to the funeral service. And I remember the place was just packed. It was like, there was like over 700 people there. And I remember in the front row, towards the end of the service, they were singing the song, Blessed Be the Name. And she was wearing a pink dress and she had her hands raised praising Jesus in the midst of maybe the greatest loss of her life. And her testimony in that moment spoke to hundreds of people, many who were not believers who were at this funeral. That, that moment is like seared into my memory, and I remember how God used her in her pain. I remember worshiping God at the old, at the old chapel at Westminster Woods. We were, our staff was, was worshiping, and we were singing songs together, and I remember a lightning struck, like probably like 15 feet from the chapel. It felt like it, at least. There was a huge flash, and that place is covered with these windows, so it was like really scary. And then all the power went out. And there's about seven or eight of us. Uh, my friend Jesse was leading music on his guitar, and he didn't like skip a beat. Like, we were all a little freaked out, but he just kept playing. And he began to sing. Uh, he was singing How, How He Loves. This is the song that was popular back then. And he did a little rendition on Jesus Loves Me just off the cuff. And I remember we kept singing and praying in pitch black. It was like one of those powerful worship moments that, you, that was spontaneous where you just sensed the spirit was moving. There was uh, people praying for each other. There was a, a powerful thing happened that I can't explain that only the people in the room will remember. But I remember that moment as something so sweet of tasting the presence of God. I remember training for a marathon, and uh, it was mile 13. I'm in, the, I'm in the country roads of Sterling, Kansas, like out in the middle of nowhere. It's 100 degrees, and I remember um, I'm listening to a sermon on my, on my uh, iPod at the time. We had iPods back in the day. And uh, I'm listening to this sermon that I downloaded, and I remember there was just this moment where I sensed the presence of God like speak directly to me and it like stopped me in my tracks and mind me I still had, like five miles to go but I just stopped and I felt this like this weight of the presence of God pushed me down to the ground I got on my knees and I grabbed just a, a bit of the dirt on the ground and I just I remember in that moment hearing the voice of God it was so clear to me how what he was speaking to me and I'll never forget when God met me on mile 13 of marathon training Last one, um, I remember when I started here at Eastminster, they had me do hospital visitation. 
when I was, you know, I was 20, 22, 23 years old, no experience. They just threw me to the wolves and gave me like five people to visit. And I'm like, okay, here we go. It was one of my first weeks doing it. And I met with this man and St. I think it was St. Francis or St. Joe. I don't remember which hospital, but he was on the top floor and he couldn't speak. Something, there was cancer in his throat or something was going on. And I remember sitting there and not knowing what to do. Like I, he's, I'm, I'm talking to him, asking him questions, and he's not responding. And Paul Bamel warned me that he couldn't speak well. So I was a little bit prepared, but I'm just talking to him. And uh, finally, I, the Price is Right was playing on the little TV in the room. So I just sort of sat there, and we watched the Price is Right together. And I was trying to guess the prices, and I don't know if he understood what I was saying because he couldn't really move. And... Uh, I remember very vividly looking out of the window. I could see the cross uh, from Wesley Hospital from, we were so high up in this hospital that I could see the, that cross that's uh, through the trees. And I just kept thinking like, Jesus, I need you right now. This man is suffering. Like, how can I help this person? I don't know what to do. So finally, after watching The Price is Right, <laughs> I grabbed his hand and I prayed for him. And I remember my prayer. I said to him, I pray in this moment that the presence of Christ would be near to you in your pain. And, uh, excuse me. And I remember he squeezed my hand. Like, he, he heard what I said. He, it, whatever, he wasn't responding, but in that moment, it's like he sensed the presence of God because he squeezed my hand. And when I think back to that memory, I think, man, here's a kid who doesn't really know what to do as a young pastor who's trying to learn how, how can I minister to people in pain and in this moment God used me to be the presence of Christ to someone who was dying. I got an email the next day that he had passed away. Here's the thing. I could go on and on. I've got stories. I like had to cut, I tried to take away the ones that would make me cry. I, I should have left that one out. Um, but I've got stories um, where God moved in my life, and I forget them all the time. Like, if I'm not consciously taking time to remember these moments, I don't think about them. They're not in the forefront of my mind. And oftentimes, in, in seasons where I feel distant from God, m much of it's because I forget. I forget where he's been faithful in my life. I forget where he's been faithful throughout history. And I need to be reminded again and again and again. This is why we must be intentional about remembering what God has done, remembering what Jesus has done. And so in closing tonight, we're going to practice this. I I'm asked the band to come back up, and they're going to sing a song called Steadfast. It's a beautiful song. But as we sing, I'll, uh, I invite you to sing with them, but also take this next four or five minutes as we sing together and allow God to remind you Ask him, invite the Holy Spirit to remind you of moments where God worked in your life, to remind you of your salvation, to remind you of moments when you felt the presence of God move, to remind you of moments where you sensed his, his voice speaking to you, to remind you of the times when he's been faithful. And we'll do a practice of remembering together and have a, a heart of gratitude for all God's done. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the times in my life when you showed up, times in, in, in when I was depressed, when I was lonely, when I was lost, um, when you saved me. 
And in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my imperfections and my failures, God, you are faithful time and time again. And so we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for that uh, you are a God who is quick to forget our sin and offer forgiveness and mercy and grace. May we be reminded of the gospel again, again, and again, because that too we often forget. We thank you for your goodness. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.